jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. I've got so much work to do. This is Pieces of Work on jasoncharles.net. My name is Ethan Vanderein. I am a supervising sound editor slash sound designer. And what I do is I collaborate with the filmmakers, primarily the director, the picture editor, and then a team of people that I have uh, working with me, editors, including dialogue editors, and sound effects editors and Foley editors and ADR editors. We also collaborate with re-recording mixers who take all the material that we've edited together and then mix it all together into a seamless whole at the end. So I sort of supervise the whole process from beginning to end of constructing the entire soundtrack for the movie with a sometimes a small team of people and sometimes depending on the project it can be a much much larger team of people the difference between the different terms and the disciplines they represent within within the process is the, a sound editor is someone who really focuses on editing together the different pieces of sound that go into making the soundtrack. And we break that down into sound effects editors who focus on, funnily enough, the sound effects, uh, which in an action movie would be all the gunshots, uh, all the sort of magical sounds, the explosions, the if there's any creature voices that need to be constructed, they'd work on piecing those together. A dialogue editor works on taking the original dialogue that's that's recorded when the when the project is being shot and cleaning it up and taking out uh, lip smacks and just making it more more clean and more understandable. And then so a, a sound designer is someone who focuses on what we might call sort of uh, more special sound effects, things that require recording things out in the field or on a sound stage, taking them back into the studio, manipulating them to construct something for the movie that doesn't usually exist in the real world. An example of that might be creature vocals for some kind of made up creature. So that's sort of what a sound designer might focus more on. And then a mixer, a re-recording mixer, basically is responsible for, for taking all the different elements and mixing them, adjusting all the levels, as well as all the spatial relationships in terms of panning where, how the sounds move through the room and mixing all these sounds into a cohesive and balanced whole. One of the things I love about 
the work we get to do is the fact that every project is different from every other project. And I just love the fact it keeps it from ever getting boring. And one part of that is the relationship between the work that we do with the sound and and how it interacts and how the how we interact specifically with the music, the composer who's creating, who's writing the music. And sometimes sometimes that can be a very integrated collaboration and sometimes there's very little collaboration until until the end. And obviously I think the best results come out of there being more collaboration and on most projects we'll start doing all of our our work against what we call temp music which is put in very early on in the process as the as the picture cut starts coming together and it's a way for for editors and directors to see how the cut is coming together that a lot of people have a hard time watching any kind of film as it's coming together without music to support it. <laughs> and then that temp music will evolve usually to when the composer comes in to working sometimes directly with the composer, but more often just trading our work back and forth so that it can be really a co-evolution of the music and the sound together. I think that's when the best results come from. And there's been certain projects where we've had the, invited the composer into our studio and actually given them sounds, original sounds that we've created for the movie. And then we give some of these sounds to the composer to start integrating into the actual score. There was one project specifically that I'm thinking of where the composer was actually able to create synthetic instruments from from some of the sounds that we were used to use within the score and it sort of had helped the music and the sound design really gel together when they came together at the end because there was a sort of common DNA between them because the fact that there were sort of crossover elements that were woven through both the music and the sound design. It's interesting because the collaboration can really uh, range between this broad spectrum of that type of tight collaboration where you have this sort of DNA that's really rippled through both the sound design and the music to examples where it's very clear where the sound design ends and the music starts and vice versa. And it's really just dependent on the, the needs of the project and how people like to work, you know, where any project falls on that spectrum. On most of the films that we do, we'll have, I'd say the minimum we would have would be six months. But on many films, we end up having nine months, 12 months, and there's been a couple films that we've just finished recently that with the timelines for our work went for, you know, over two years. So on some films we do, we'll get involved before shooting starts. We'll actually sometimes get involved, um, you know, in the green light presentations to help, you know, get the money approved to start shooting, which, you know, often will involve like creating a short sort of version of maybe some of the scenes in the movie. And obviously, um, you know, 
doing sound design for those scenes is going to help them really play well and express you know the the intent and the vision behind the project so sometimes we'll get involved that early and then keep working all through pre-production coming up with with sounds sometimes sounds to be played on set to help get characters uh, into the scene working on sound for sequences as they come together and then after the shooting starts obviously that's when the the bulk of our work really starts once the shooting has stopped so the average timeline is usually close to a year for us so early on i sort of stumbled really into the the field of sound and sound for film i went to film school and when i got out of the film school you know, it seemed like my prospects of getting a job were going to be uh, slim to none because it seemed to all be about connections and I didn't really have any connections. And it seemed like I would need to be in Los Angeles and I wasn't in Los Angeles. I was in the Bay Area. And then as it happens, there's a small sound community in the Bay Area that grew up around Coppola and Lucas, basically. and through a friend was introduced and got a job as an apprentice editor. And this was in the days before computers had taken over our world and sound editing was moved to computers. Before that, all the sound editing was done on film. So it required more manual labor and more, there was more opportunity for people with no experience in sound editing specifically to get trained. So I was lucky enough to get hired on as an apprentice and start learning with some of the best people in the, in the world who were based in the Bay Area. And what I quickly fell in love with was there's a certain guerrilla style of filmmaking that's involved with gathering the sounds for the sound effect and sound design portion of the soundtrack because it requires that you go out into the world with a tape recorder and just open your ears and start listening to the world around you and recording all kinds of random things for you know squeaks for just every absolutely everything you can imagine can become an ingredient that can go into weaving the tapestry you know that becomes the the soundtrack and so i fell in love with the idea of of being able to record out in the world bring the sounds back into the studio and then start applying them to picture and there's a certain kind of magic that that i found would come from that moment when you know you start playing some of the sounds against the picture and when you get the right sound with the right image lined up in the right way it can become a magical moment and i fell in love with that and so that really inspired me to just keep moving along that path one of the things that i discovered about sound in the early days and and that's continued to be a sort of driving force in my own work is the whole idea that what sounds end up in the movie um, are often used in a completely unrelated way to how they function in the real world 
For instance, the idea that we can record sounds in the real world and then take them back into the studio and slow them down and they turn into, they, they go from being an oven door being opened into, you know, a creature roaring when we slow them down to half speed or quarter speed. And, you know, the idea where you start to hear sounds on these different sort of time scales where in the real world and when you're recording, you're hearing something, you know, the way we're used to hearing it at a normal speed and pitch. And then when we slow it down or speed it up, it becomes something entirely different. And the whole idea of the plasticity of sound is so magical in a way. It really allows a lot of freedom in terms of how much you can play with it and, and paint with it in a way. It becomes so moldable and you know i find that fascinating so early on in my career i gravitated towards working on the the sound effects in movies and that that started one of the real big breakthroughs for me personally was i was hired as the effects assistant to work on terminator 2 and that involved for me my job for like nine months was doing a lot of recording out in the world of you know all these different elements that we didn't have in a library that we could just go to to start putting into the film so i had to go and find you know <laughs> motorcycles and go ride on the back of harleys and record them i had to go to golden gate park in the middle of the night and get someone to ride his motorcycle up the concrete stairs outside the museum I had to basically just go out and figure out how to try and capture all these sounds, specifically for all the cars in the movie, for the motorcycles, for the for the guns we recorded, just, you know, basically everything we started recording from scratch. And a lot of what I was doing um, was helping to record that, setting stuff up, just figuring out how, how to try and get the stuff. And so... I gravitated towards working on action films and uh, and films with a lot of visual effects because those are the films that require a lot of sound effects and a lot of sound design because basically you're trying to create something out of nothing because none of the sound really really exists for the elements that you're trying to create. So you're trying to create these sound elements from scratch and I found that super interesting. So those are really the, that's the genre of film that I've mostly worked in, you know, action, sci-fi, fantasy kind of films where you really have to figure out how to invent the world, the sonic world from scratch. And for me, that's the most fascinating. Um, and it, the same can be true on animated films, you know, fully animated films because, you know, all the images are just created on the computers now. And, you know, you have the voices of the characters which are recorded and the animation and and whatever temp music has been laid in, but nothing else to the world. So that provides a lot of opportunities for creating the sound from scratch. And, and that's what I find exciting. So those are mostly the type of movies that we work on we don't get offered a lot of rom-coms to do 
works out perfectly because for me, I've always wanted to be challenged. And these are the films that, that challenge me. And, you know, early on, I became interested in action because one of the really cool things about sound that I discovered right away was the, the how um, minute of a level we can get into. You know, when I started working, we basically were cutting all the film by hand and splicing it, splicing sounds together with, with tape. And we would basically deal, you know, with frames, which um, there's 24 frames in a second. And so that's our, was our basic time scale is a 24th of a second. And I found it just fascinating how sort of accurate you could get with the sound when you start thinking about it occurring in, you know, in, in measurements of a 24th of a second. And within action, of course, it becomes incredibly important to, to think about the, the tiny, the tiniest moments um, and how much they matter. And what I discovered, I think I really discovered this working on, on Saving Private Ryan as how important it was to create the, the moments of space in between the sounds. And by this time, we had moved to working, to doing the editing on digital platforms, on Pro Tools, which is a workstation, which allowed you to, to zero in and magnify the waveform of the sound, which was something totally new that we weren't able to do with analog editing and so you could go in at a microscopic level and create you know moments even if it's only a you know half a frame a 50th of a second but that little bit of space in between you know a gunshot and the bullet hit can create the difference between something between the moment being impactful and between it just being a blur. So action films sort of became a fun, a fun playground to, to experiment with, with sound and with, with the idea of space and silence, but just at a very, at a almost microscopic level. One of the early films that I worked on, which, which I've already mentioned a little bit was Terminator 2. And the director of that movie, Jim Cameron, had a lot of strong ideas about how to use sound in the movie. And I think I learned a lot from, from some of his ideas about, you know, how to be very specific moment to moment with what sounds you choose to play. And the idea that you can't focus on too many sounds at once that it's important to really get specific and focused and weed out everything extraneous except for the the one sound that is highlighting whatever you want to be highlighting for that moment and that became some of the best advice and the best way of thinking about how to you know, how to use sound in an impactful way is the idea of specificity and weeding out everything extraneous and figuring out what is the most important sound in this moment? What do we want the audience to, to focus on? Because the sound is going to guide 
the eye to where to where to look in the picture and what to think about. And so if you're hearing too many things, you're not going to your brain's not going to be able to figure out where it needs to focus. So the idea of being a little ruthless and and not precious with any of the work because it can be a little difficult if you've like created all these sounds from scratch and you've got, you know, them all like intricately woven together and every sound like has a has a meaning for you as the person who put it together and then to have to be a little bit ruthless and say, you know what? None of these sounds matter except for this one specific sound. This this one little footstep right here, this little hand touch in the middle of all this chaos. This is what tells the story at this moment. So get rid of get rid of everything except for this this sound of these two hands touching each other. And that requires you as as the creator to not be too precious and and to not fall in love too much with you know <laughs> everything you've done and to have an open enough mind to be able to sort of look at it with uh, fresh eyes and fresh ears and say, oh, okay, yeah, let's try that. And then all of a sudden, oh, that shifts everything. So I sort of began to get some of those ideas, I think, um, you know, early on on that movie. And a lot of that came from, from that director, Jim Cameron. One of the movies in recent years that I've been lucky enough to be involved with was a movie called The Quiet Place. And this was a really exciting project for my partner and I. I should I should say that I have a, a creative as well as business partner. We basically collaborate on all the projects we we do together. So when when I'm speaking about work within the last 12 years, it would always be in collaboration with with my partner Eric Adol. But the movie A Quiet Place was was something we were incredibly excited to be able to collaborate on because after reading the script, we realized that this was going to be an incredible opportunity to really use sound to help tell the story in a way that really hasn't been done that often because of the fact that there is so little dialogue spoken words in the movie it was going to put a lot of emphasis on sound to do the heavy lifting in terms of being the motor to move the story forward and that was something we were really excited about after reading first reading the script and so it was it was an interesting super interesting project just from that standpoint and then when we started working on the movie in earnest it was after the film had already been entirely shot and a first assembly of the movie had been put together and we started talking with John Krasinski the the director about some of his ideas for the movie and what he wanted to try and do with the sound and one of the first ideas we hit upon was the idea that the villains in the movie are these monsters we don't really know where they've come from they seem to be alien monsters that have come from some other place they've taken over the earth and are basically hunting humans and the interesting thing about them is they're blind but they have hypersensitive hearing and they hunt through sound so it requires 
the survivors, the human survivors to be, to be very quiet in order to not be found and, and killed by these creatures. So when we first, we got the first uh, editor's cut of the movie and uh, we started playing it down, basically there was a ton of sound. And when I speak of sound, I'm including music in, in, the, in the entire realm of sound. And there was a lot of temp music, you know, running through almost every scene. And so one of the first things we realized is, oh my God, this movie is called the quiet place and you know well what we want to do in in our work is we want to try and put the audience in the shoes of these characters and make it feel real and so in order to do that we have to actually create this very quiet world so the first thing we needed to do was start stripping out all this sound and music and sort of building from the ground up this this world and something i've been interested in really from the earliest days when i started working with with sound editing was the idea of the spaces in between sound and how important the spaces are and in a sense you know the space in between sound becomes more important than the sounds themselves so the quiet place was sort of an exercise in taking that to the extreme and really testing the boundaries of how quiet we could make a scene be and keep the audience engaged and you know interested in what's happening on screen and what what we found in a way is maybe a little counterintuitive to the way people have gotten used to um, making and consuming movies, because what we found was that the quieter we were able to make things, the more you would start to lean in to the screen and feel like you were actually in, in the moment and with the characters. And sort of the extreme example of that in in that movie was going down to complete digital zero um, silence and we were able to do that when we went into the point of view the sonic point of view of the daughter regan who in the movie she's deaf and in real life the actress millicent simmons is is deaf as well and it's, this is something when we when we saw the first cut of the movie and we're watching it down and we and Eric and I both said to each other, man, it's, it would be so interesting if we could experience what what she's experiencing, if we could go into her head, because to live in a world where sound equals survival, if you make too much noise, you're dead you know, almost instantly because this creature will come out of nowhere and pounce on you and destroy you. That's such a vulnerable way to live. And how scary would it be to like actually get an idea of what that feels like for her? And how can we do that with sound? Well, we can go into her head sonically and see what she's experiencing or hear what she's experiencing. So she has a cochlear implant in the movie 
as well as in 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 real life. And she described to her mother, who、um, is on set with her pretty much all the time, goes with her, and can function as a translator for her. And so her mother described to John what what Millie, the actress, described as her experience of hearing through the cochlear implant, and she describes sort of this low rumble. Then Eric and I immediately related it to experiences that we've had being in anechoic chambers, which are spaces that are. Made to be like the quietest spaces on Earth, which are designed to do scientific experiments measuring sound levels on, you know, mostly scientific equipment. So they're just incredibly quiet rooms, basically chambers. And the interesting thing is, when you go into one of these spaces, your ears start to readjust to the quiet, to the point where after five or maybe ten minutes. You start to hear the sounds of your own body. You you start to hear the rumble of your of the blood rushing through your through your veins and arteries. You start to hear your heart pumping, and you start to hear your nervous system sort of ringing, tingling. So we we related it to that experience that we'd had, and so we started. Working on creating sounds that would sort of replicate that experience, and that became sort of the sound of Regan, the character in the movie, her point of view when, when we were in her point of view sonically, and and she was wearing her cochlear implant, and then there's a couple points in the movie,、um, and these are sort of key moments where she doesn't have the cochlear implant in, or she turns it off. And for those moments, we went from this sort of low, throbbing rumble of what she's hearing to nothing. And for me, those are my favorite moments in the movie because it's so stark and it it sucks you in just so quickly. And we're I think part of it is that as humans, we're not used to Total silence ever. If you think about it, like in your life, when do you ever have the experience of just total silence? And so, I think that's why it felt so shocking in a way because it's such a rare experience. And so, for me, those become the most powerful moments in the film. And it's kind of interesting as a someone who. Loves sound and works with sound to have my favorite sound moments actually be the absence, the total absence of sound. There's something a little ironic about it, but also it totally makes sense. It was a very quick turnaround, so part of the reason that we we're able to be as bold as we were in the sound for that movie was the fact that it was so quick, and so there wasn't time to second guess all the decisions we were making because we really had about. Twelve weeks to do you know, the bulk of the sort of creative work and figure it out, and for for、uh, um, for the work that we do, that's very a very fast timeline. And、um, I think there's sometimes it's best to just to work fast and not overthink things, and just you know you just go with what really starts to trigger you, and you don't if it works, you don't try a million other things. In the world of sound editing. 
one of the first really big sort of breakthrough characters uh, would be Murray Spivak, who became known for creating King Kong in the original version of, of King Kong and came up with a lot of very um, creative and original techniques to create the, the vocals, which really became the performance of King Kong. And it involved a lot of experimentation. It's interesting because I've worked on a couple of movies, uh, more recent movies with King Kong. So I've studied a little bit about some of the experiments he went through. He was sort of a seminal figure in what we consider modern sound design. And after him, there's a couple of other sort of breakthrough films and sound designers. And we can go all the way to Apocalypse Now, really, and Walter Murch, who worked on the sound design of that movie with a, with a big team of, of other people. For me, it was one of the first films that I saw that I really started to be aware of how the sound was being used in very subjective ways. I just remember the, the shot of the ceiling fan turning into the sounds of the helicopter rotors. And at the time, just thinking, oh man, that is, that's super cool and, and evocative and has a way to sort of create the transition that's just wouldn't happen any other way. And then also George Lucas, who moved up to the barrier at the same time as Coppola. So with, with Lucas, of course, doing Star Wars, that became a pretty breakthrough film in terms of, of sound design. And Ben Burt had basically just come out of uh, USC film school and he did a lot of groundbreaking breakthrough sound work in creating the all kinds of original sound effects for for the Star Wars movies. So those were sort of some of the seminal figures. And then a little bit after that, there's someone named Gary Reitstrom who sort of grew up under some of these people. And he did some really groundbreaking work on a lot of different films. One would be Saving Private Ryan, where he used sound to really put the audience right in the moment in a very incredibly visceral and documentary feeling way, which was of course so important to the, to the storytelling in that movie to make you feel like you were right in the middle of, you know, the D-Day landing on the beaches of, of Normandy. And then around the same time, he did some amazing work on the Jurassic Park movies, which for that, he had to create all the sounds that these creatures make, you know, dinosaurs, and imagine what they would sound like, because of course, no one has ever heard a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. No one has ever heard a raptor. And I was lucky enough to sort of come up to start my career working under him. And it was incredibly sort of inspiring really to learn under him about the possibilities, which seemed sort of limitless in terms of creating sound for images. 
And then the, the, some of the David Fincher movies, um, David Fincher worked with a sound designer, Ren Kleist, who I think, I think they've collaborated together for a long time. And I find their work together to be super interesting. And I think about, well, all of their movies that they do together are, I find really interesting in terms of sound. And, but one specifically, which maybe probably gets overlooked most of the time, but um, the girl with the dragon tattoo, I th think had a great use of, of sound. I just think of a scene in, in that movie where this janitor is vacuuming and the sound of the vacuum basically just, you know, gets louder and louder and becomes this sort of overwhelming buzz. And I love it when, when sound can get, you know, so simple that it can take over the entire soundtrack, you know, one sound. I just, uh, I love the, the idea of simplicity and power combined. And I feel like uh, that, that has that, that moment. One of the first movies that I remember seeing that made a big impact on I me, mean, I'm sure it's not the first movie that I actually saw, you know, in a theater. I, and I know that it wasn't, but it's really the, the first movie that I feel made a big impact on me in terms of like the power of cinema was a Nicholas Rogue film called Walkabout, which takes place in the outback of Australia. It involves these these two kids that are basically stranded in the middle of outback and they have to try and survive and they end up meeting up with this aboriginal sort of um, boy teenager who's doing his walkabout which is sort of the process they go through uh, a rite of passage where they have to go out into the desert and you know, survive on their own. And so they connect, but they, they can't speak because, you know, they speak different languages. Um, the Aboriginal doesn't speak English. So most of the movie really doesn't have much, much dialogue, much speaking. And I think about that and how it's, you know, the films that I like to work on now <laughs> and the idea of how much can be explored that doesn't require you know, words doesn't require talking and in a way it becomes so much more interesting. And I think that director, Nick Rogue, did a lot of interesting movies. So, you know, he's someone that obviously that movie had a big influence on me. So he's he's someone that I would have enjoyed being able to work with. Um, but I do feel super lucky to have been able to, you know, work with so many different people I guess all the films that I'm mentioning are, are so far are films that, that use sound almost like score, basically, to create emotion and drama in, in unusual and unsuspected ways. That's what, I, that's what I love about, you know, what some of the best sound design can do is that it can surprise you and shock you in a way into a new feeling, a new emotion in a way that maybe music can't and, you know, just words can't. It's sort of this third way to twist our experience or to, and to shape our experience um, that's, you know, apart from the rational and maybe that's what gives it this sort of unique power to, to shape our experience.
You know, Walter Murch has a saying, you know, that images come in through the, the front doors, being the eyes, and sound comes in through the back doors, being the, being the ears, and in a way that gives it this special power to influence us in more subliminal ways than than images which so it can kind of it can kind of sneakily affect you and affect how you're feeling and how you're experiencing the movie in a in a way that doesn't make you aware of it and that's a real that's a real powerful tool the advice i would give to someone starting out and and interested in doing this type of work is to go out into the world and just start um start listening you know and to start recording sounds and then to start working with sounds working with sounds alone and and weaving them together and in surprising and unexpected ways to to tell stories and you know start putting them against picture and just to start playing really and exploring and i mean that's one of the great things about you know the digital world that we live in today is it's become so much easier just to for anybody who has any interest in in doing this type of work just to get started and it really is only limited by you know your own creative mind there's no there's really no other limitations you know the tools are cheap and and available so it's really about just whatever you can imagine and then open your ears and see what you hear. But it's harder these days than when I started because it's harder to sort of work under someone and, and be mentored in a way, you know, that I was able to get in, in my early career. And in a way, getting started these days, it feels like, you know, you kind of already need to be at a certain level to just to even get your foot in the door. I, I, do, I think that um, if I had come up in the world that we're in now, I never would be in this field because it's so much more technical now than it was when I started. And I'm not a very technically minded person. You know, I feel like coming up when I started doing this, my interests were like were poetry and 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 rhythm, you know, and Although I think those are still like super important ideas, it's like you also got to know how to deal with computers and <laughs> you know all of the all of the technology um, has become such a big part of part of what we do. So thinking about what would I like to do, and you know, in the in this world of sound that I haven't been able to do yet, and sound for picture and sound for movies, you know, the first thought that comes to my mind is how much our world is changing right now <laughs> and just the idea that like where are movies going what what are movies you know going to be I mean it's especially uncertain right now with the pandemic and you know so many theaters around the world not being able to to be open and I'm interested in exploring you know other ways that sound can be used besides in movies to create experience and what does that look like you know i can imagine you know maybe there's other forms um that haven't even been invented yet you know i'm thinking about ar 
maybe there's other sort of avenues for sound to be exploited to to create experience and i think one of the cool things about sound is how it can be used to really create visceral experiences and and make you feel like you're in a character another character's head experiencing what they're experiencing and maybe there's ways to exploit that in ways that haven't been exploited yet so I'm interested in, you know, how the technology develops and and changes. I mean, things are developing so quickly right now in our world. It's like hard to it's almost hard to comprehend, but I feel like we're on the verge of being able to experience some new things in terms of perception, in terms of viewing and listening experience and how that's all shaped by the developing technology and so I'm interested to sort of to see if we can be involved in some of that you know in some ways what's what's going on now with the shift towards viewing films on you know other devices than just a, a movie theater or a television screen but you know on a computer or your iPhone or whatever it is, um, is the idea that you're hearing, you're actually hearing things better now. A lot of people are because they're, they're actually have headphones on or earbuds in. And in a funny way, a lot of people are probably hearing things better than they ever have before. And in a way, it creates this unique opportunity to really, um, <laughs> to exploit more of the power of sound. And I feel like it doesn't um really change the way we do our work at all it's just nice to know that the all this attention we put into creating these moments and and these details maybe more of them are going to start to be heard because people are actually hearing things better i mean obviously that's been an ongoing frustration of the work we you know a lot of the work we do feeling like you know so much of it goes unheard so the idea that that more of it is now going to be heard that's kind of a pretty cool thing. I don't think it really changes the so much the way we do our work because already so much attention goes into all the little details that most people would never even imagine, you know, every footstep getting recreated, every every body movement, every breath, you know, literally every little sound having been shaped by hand and involving decisions and that's something that most people never even think about you know most people just assume that all the sound you hear in a movie is recorded when they shoot the movie in fact the opposite is kind of true um on a lot of movies you know very small percentage of what ends up being in the soundtrack of the final movie is actually recorded on the day because most of the dialogue ends up needing to be replaced for one reason or another. And the funny thing is if if the sound team does their job right, then no one thinks about it when they're watching it. They just assume that all this sound was recorded on the day. It's about creating the illusion that this is all happening in front of you at the time. You've been listening to Pieces of Work on jasoncharles.net.
jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.